Our gospel reading for today from the book of Luke reminds us that money and humility and prayer are all intertwined. These are things that happen together in our souls. As we get personal this week and have more of a communal celebration next week, let's hear the word of the Lord. Now Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, O God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Humble us, O God, that the public profiles we give out, that you would crack them open, that we would allow your spirit into our hearts and to be transformed into your likeness. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing unto you. You are our rock, our strength, our redeemer. Amen. Before this passage, Luke reminds us to pray. In the passage Pastor Molly preached on last week, the parable begins with this prologue. It says, then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not lose heart. And then comes this wonderfully humorous story of the widow who just relentlessly badgers that justice, says, give me justice, give me justice, until he relents. This relentlessness is how we are to pray. But Jesus is smart. Jesus knows that there could be some of us hear these two different or hear that story and say oh well then the word of the lord is to advocate all the time don't spend any time delighting in what is in the world just fight 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 relentlessly against those justices but of course that's not the whole picture which is why jesus tells many parables the next one up is the story of the pharisee and the tax collector So we've got the widow reminding us to pray fiercely, but also humbly. The Pharisee comes and says, dear Lord, I am so grateful. I am so grateful that 
I'm not like one of those. I'm so grateful, God, that I'm not like one of those Republicans or like one of those Democrats. I'm so grateful I'm not a lawyer or a lobbyist and you know the works of those evil people. Thank you, God, for giving me so much. I'm so grateful that I give so much of my money. I'm so grateful that I run in the right circles. I'm so grateful that I don't spend my time on worthless pursuits. I'm so grateful, God. Now, the moral of these stories, taken at surface level, is very easy. Bragging people are bad. <laughs> I think we all kind of get that in or around third to fifth grade. We'll see how early it, it gets for my children. So we're not quite there yet. So I'm raising the bar from my oldest couple years. So he'll get that, right? But we get that. A group of highly educated people in this room. Bragging doesn't usually work out. Now, you have some in this more highly educated culture who might still brag in more culturally appropriate ways. When you drop the hints about this trip to that exotic place or, well, my trip was free because of my frequent flyer miles from work, which you had to spend money to get, but that's, you know, just a reminder that privilege and blessing are not the same thing. We don't go around saying, I'm so blessed to have a chateau in the south of France. What a blessing. Hashtag privilege, not blessing. But this is a straw man story, right? Pharisees were smart. In general, they're the clergy you were supposed to like. But we also know there's a few clergy who every now and then will give you that sermon where they tell you about something they did that was really righteous and moral and make you feel a little bit less than themselves. You take that stereotype and you widen the lens so you can really get the point. And that's what Jesus does so well with the parables, right? Here is this straw man. And yeah, he is bragging. And yes, he is not very humble. Yes, this tax collector, in comparison, is more humble. And that is surprising. The tax collector is the vilest of the vile occupations. And yet, and that beautiful swapping, the upside-down kingdom of God, we are called to have empathy for the guy. See, in the ancient Roman Empire, for especially for those states that were under the non-democratic rule of Caesar, the tax collectors were told how much they were going to collect in their particular precinct. It wasn't a, you know, based on the population, you, you should probably collect this much. But we understand if you don't because of some tax write-offs. No, 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 no. You are going to collect X number of dollars. We don't care what it takes. If you don't do it, you will be punished the way the Romans punish you. If you happen to collect any amount of extra money, well, that's your profit. And do with it as you please. The way I see it, the tax collector is stuck. He's got a family, maybe, kids at home. He wants to live in a good neighborhood. <coughs> he wants his kids to grow up with the right amenities. He wants to have a good life. And yet, it hurts him. 
And so the scriptures tell us that he can't even look up to heaven. But he's beating his chest. Now this isn't just a couple of beats. I imagine him doing it for minutes. Hours. Relentlessly. Crying out, forgive me, O Lord, a sinner. Have mercy on me. He wishes he had a different kind of life. One where he could provide without being so corrupt. And as his skin grows raw, in which as he could pull out the guilt, he cries. Now, to, to contrast that, in Omaha a few weeks ago, there was a little girl who beat her chest in a different way. She was at the zoo. And she took her hands like this, and in front of the glass, where there was a gorilla on the other side, started beating her chest like this because she learned it in school, that that's how gorillas communicate in some ways. And so one of the gorillas wanted to communicate back. They thought it was one of those sort of friendly shows of aggression, not a challenge, but like, hey, look how good I am. Oh, I could show you how good I am too. And one of those gorillas did show her how good they were by throwing 350 pounds of themselves at the glass and cracking it. Luckily, there's three layers of glass. And so it was only the first one that was hurt. But it was more like this. And not what unfortunately we've come to learn is the way that people mourn by beating their chest. First time I saw it and, it and it felt like something to me was one of the many videos that came out during the Syrian civil war. And there was this father holding his son who'd been killed by a, a bomb. He's just holding him with one hand and the other just beating himself as hard as he can in the chest. Moaning and wailing. Like there's just nothing he could do with just his voice in order to express what he was feeling. There are some Muslim religious rituals one is called Latmia, which during the sharing of this observance, when they remember someone that was very important in the story who, who died, the whole telling of the story, they just beat their chest as they remember and grieve. Recently, at Theater J, where my wife works, they did a play called Love Sick. And at one point, this husband finally realized that his wife, who's been desperately trying to connect to emotionally and otherwise, that she has left him emotionally and then at this point has left the home physically. And he just weeps. Oh. And he mourns what thought the future was going to look like. Oh, 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 oh. He wishes he could bring her back. 
He mourns his ability to do that. And he experiences the humility of powerlessness. Now, being humble isn't just about saying, I'm humble. We get that much. We get that if we say, have mercy on me, God. Oh, I'm a sinner. Yay, that makes me a good person. Unlike those other people who haven't figured out to make that claim yet. I am a good person because I call myself a sinner. Unlike the rest of you sinners. There's a scholar, William Mull, who said, if there's anything worse than pride in one's righteousness, it must be pride in one's corruption. So simply saying a prayer isn't the point of the story, right? Jesus isn't just saying that you need to go get on your knees and beat your chest and say, Lord, have mercy. It's not a one-off ordeal, but instead it's a process. Remember, this whole part of scripture is about prayer. Prologued by the relentlessness of that widow. Followed up by the story of children who keep coming to Jesus. And everyone else is telling him to stop. And they say, let the children come to me. <coughs> and with their relentlessness, be reminded that they are the ones who can enter the kingdom of God. You see what Jesus is doing there? He's teaching us that prayer is not just the one-off, but the relentlessness of the widow, the relentlessness of those kids who just want to touch Jesus, and probably the relentlessness of that tax collector beating, not just for the sinner's prayer, but probably coming to the temple days weeks wishing to be free of the system of corruption in which he is involved saying Lord have mercy on me a sinner see when it comes to humility I think that in order to follow the tax collector and that beat of humility in order to seek justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God requires the beating of our chest in one way or another. That relentless beat of our lives in prayer, reminded, reminding ourselves that we are not everything, that we fail, that we falter, and yet God, whose heartbeat can be felt in the rhythm of the world, and in our own hearts, relentlessly pursuing after us. I couldn't stop thinking this week about another beat that was made popular in the 1960s by some of your favorite artists, I'm sure, Sonny and Cher. They had a hit song called The Beat Goes On. Do you remember this song? And the beat goes on. You can beat along if you want. And the beat goes on. We got these historical references of the cyclical nature of our problems. 
as Cher sings. Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain. And there's some skepticism about how the world keeps turning around and still having those same issues facing us. The grocery stores, the supermarket. Uh-huh. Little girls still break their hearts. Men still keep on marching off to war. Electrically, they keep a baseball score. And when you don't know what else to sing, you say, la di da di La-di-da-di-da. And I wonder how the faithful might find their way into the rhythm of the tax collector as we seek humility. I think the secret of the tax collector is that by that constant, relentless prayer, that it's in that prayer of life that just keeps on moving, the ones that we say when our kids say something damaging, or when we as grandparents see our children parenting in a way we would choose them not to, when we see the damage going on in the world and we see the news and we lift up the, oh, God, have mercy. That that is the beat of humility. And that connection to what is and what was and whatever forever will be that we're connecting to the rhythm of life, the heartbeat of God. We're going to have our bell choir lead us in a reflection on that heartbeat. Because if the tax collector is right, it is only in the practice of making that beat with our bodies, with our music, with our souls and our lives they were able to integrate those practices and to seek humility before God. So I invite you to open up your hymnals to page 698. And if you want to keep the beat when they start with your feet or by pounding your chest as you mourn and grieve and decide to participate in God's mission in the world, I invite you to do so.